Well, this morning we are turning our attention to the Christmas season. The sanctuary is beautifully decorated. You're doing the same thing at your house right now. Either you have or you're about to put your Christmas tree up and your Christmas decorations out and do the things you do to celebrate Christmas. Everywhere you go now, you're hearing Christmas music being played. And we're beginning to focus on the most important thing that ever happened on planet Earth, the time when God came to live in the midst of us. I was thinking about Christmas the other day, and I thought about the fact that Christmas is a season with its own vocabulary. There are words and phrases that we use during Christmas that we don't use any other season of the year. Take the word Christmas itself. It's a word that we seldom use alone. We use so many extra adjectives to describe Christmas. For instance, if you meet somebody on the street, you may say to them, Merry Christmas. If you really want them to have a Merry Christmas, you say, Have a holly jolly Christmas. We dream together of a white Christmas. And if you can't be with the ones you love, then you know you're going to have a blue Blue, blue, blue Christmas. (laughs) The story of the coming of Christ has its own vocabulary. Special phrases and words that describe what God has done. And this year, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, that's really what I want to do. I want to talk about the vocabulary of Christmas. I want to talk about some of those special phrases that we use that mean so much and make Christmas such a meaningful time And we only get to use them every now and then. So every Sunday, I'm going to remind you of another of those incredible parts of the vocabulary of the coming of Christ. This morning, I want you to think about what a personal gift God gave us when he sent his son. So personal that God led Isaiah to declare unto us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. What an incredible, amazing part of the vocabulary of Christmas. So I want us to take a few moments this morning and I want to think about what it means to know that God has done something incredible unto us. What a powerful phrase that is, unto us. It means God gave his gift on purpose. When it is unto you, that means it was intentionally intended to you. Now, this time of year may be one of the few times out of the year when you still get snail mail in your, uh, uh, see, I can't even remember the name of that thing, your mailbox. And you get all kinds of Christmas cards and greetings and some of them don't mean very much to you because they came from some insurance company and it doesn't have anybody's name on it. Or it came from some uh, group that you belonged to a long time ago but you haven't heard anything from them in years and you get this thing and it says Merry Christmas. But some of them are very personal. Some of them, you get a note inside. You know, somebody sends their Christmas letter and a card, and they tell you this is what's going on in our lives, and this is what's going on with our family, and these are the things that have happened to us over the past year. And you take those things and you read them with great interest because they're very personal to you. And the Bible says God sent his son. He sent him unto us. And he was given at just the right time in just the right way. 
A gift that was personally given to every person who would trust him and believe. Delivered to the whole world. God's gift is to everyone who knows what they need. That's a hard time this time of year, isn't it? What do you need for Christmas? Well, I don't really need anything. Well, yes, I do. I just don't need something that you can put in a box and cover with paper and tie up with a bow. Here's what we really need. Forgiveness. We need to know that God is going to step into our lives and all of those ways we've gone wrong and all of those times we sinned against him, he wipes it clean because he sent a son. He came unto us. We need a chance for a new beginning to recognize that there is good news and that good news is you don't have to remain stuck in where you have been and what you have done and how you've fallen down and how you failed because God sent his son. He sent him unto us. You need a transformed heart. I don't want to think the way I used to think. I don't want to act the way I used to act. I don't want to be who I used to be. I want to be a whole different person, the kind of person I can be, but only through Christ Jesus. All of those things were included in the gift that God gave. But what does the gift mean? It means God always keeps his promises. From the start, it was promised unto us. Now, this promise was given to Isaiah. And remember this, Isaiah lived 700 years before the birth of Christ. Now, just to give you a little context, that means when he was given that prophecy, it was at a time that was twice the age of America, plus 100 years or so. A long, long time before the promise was fulfilled, God had said it was going to happen. And he gave it to Isaiah. And he gave it to Isaiah at a very critical time because a lot of things were going on around Isaiah at the time when he received the promise unto us. And he needed to know there's a promise unto us. And he needed to know there's salvation unto us. And he needed to know it's going to be okay. Why is that? Because Isaiah lived in a world that seemed to be turned upside down. A world full of political unrest. It was caused by the death of Uzziah. Now understand what an incredibly disruptive thing it was that King Uzziah had died. Uzziah had been the king of Israel for 60 years. He'd been a good king, a wise king, a great leader. That means for all of Isaiah's life, there had been one person that kept life stable and made sure that people were confident, and now he was gone, and everybody was trying to come and rush in and fill that political hole where, I was Isaiah, uh, where Uzziah had, had once ruled and reigned. And they were competing with one another. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to make decisions? Who's going to lead Israel? What's going to happen next? It was a time of great unrest because people weren't sure what was going to happen. Not only that, it was a world filled with social unrest because everything seemed to be changing too much, too fast, and they couldn't keep up with it all. And what you could depend upon yesterday, you could no longer depend upon tomorrow, and everything was different. And he lived in a world where Isaiah was dealing with his own personal struggles. There were questions going on in his mind. This young priest, as he made his way to the temple, who am I? What about my own sin? How can I make a difference in the world? What does God want me to do? 
It strikes me that Isaiah's world is very much like the world in which we live today, where there's all sorts of confusion and there are all sorts of decisions to be made and all kinds of social unrest and, and so many people trying to discover where is God in the midst of all of this? How can I find security in my life? Is there truth I can depend upon and it's never going to change? God made a promise through Isaiah. A child would be born. A son would be given. And when God kept his promise, he would bring peace. Not the peace of the cessation of conflict for today and tomorrow or maybe a week, maybe even a year, but that kind of peace that grows from the inside out. That peace that comes from knowing your life is right with God and people are right with one another and hope lives in the world. Peace. Peace. The years crawled by People began to wonder, has God even remembered his promise? Are we ever going to see the prophecy fulfilled? After all, it's been years and scores of years and hundreds of years. And still, God hasn't stepped in. And every year they would say to one another, maybe this year the Messiah will come. But each year crawled by without any sign of a Savior. And then, just when people had almost given up hope, Along came Jesus, just as God had promised, according to God's plan, Christ was sent unto us, unto us. It was exactly right, but people had to trust God. For things to be exactly right. You know, today we're just like those folks from so long ago. We want the Lord, but on our own terms. We think we should be the one who sets his schedule as to what he should do and when he should do it. When things don't work out the way we want them to, we assume it's God's fault. God's forgotten. Nothing's ever going to happen. Isaiah's prophecy reminds us that God is always good. And he always keeps his promises. But he does it in his own perfect way. When the time is right, because God says the time is right. Not because we've decided that the time is right. But we have to be willing to let God be God. The Bible says he is in charge. It says the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now understand something. When Isaiah gave that prophecy, he wasn't talking about political leadership. That was one of the things that people kept talking about. The Messiah is going to be a political leader. He's going to be a military leader. He's going to impose his will by force. But that's not what the Bible is talking about at all. It's not talking about an institution of government. It's talking about the fact that he will make things right. 
He will step in and he will take charge. And as we trust him and as we follow him, he will make things right. He is in charge and he is in control. Our job is to submit to his plan. Remember this. The Lord makes promises, but he never makes bargains. The Lord will never say, now, if you'll just believe in me, I'll let you decide what that means. And you can decide how you're going to live. And you can decide whether or not you're going to obey my word. And you can decide for yourself what you think is right. None of those things because the government is on his shoulders. That means he is the one who is in charge. And our job is to obey him and trust him and follow him and depend depend upon him and believe that everything he does is right but you can't force his hand you have to depend upon him and when you trust him he will always come through unto us his gift was extravagant you know, there are gifts, and then there are gifts. You know what I mean. Some gifts are gifts of obligation. I've got to buy you something. I know you're probably going to give something to me, so I've got to buy whatever I can find, and I'll give that to you. There are gifts of convenience, you know. It's somebody you don't love that much, so you can walk in the store, and whatever they have on display in the front, you think, well, that'll go, that, that, that's fine with me, and the price is right. I'll take it. There are gifts for people you love just not that much and then there are those gifts that are the true Christmas gifts you know what I mean carefully chosen lovingly given the gifts that you can't wait to watch somebody open after you've presented it to them because you know this is a true Christmas gift let me tell you about the first Christmas gift I gave Judith after we started dating now, understand something. I'm a poor seminary student. If you've never been a seminary student, you don't understand poor seminary student. You probably do understand poor college student. You probably do understand poor newlywed. You understand poor. But, and if you do, then you recognize there are times when anything you give seems like it is way beyond anything you can afford. And I remember that first Christmas we were dating, I found this beautiful pair of earrings. I mean, they were gorgeous. They were a precious stone and some gold in it and everything you could want. And so I bought those things, and I was so I couldn't afford them, but I bought them. And then just in trying to figure out how to present that gift to her, I bought this little stuffed koala bear. And I put the box with the earrings in it between his paws, and I stuck him down in a box, and I wrapped him up, and I gave it to her. Now, understand this. I thought the main gift was the earrings. But I discovered it was the bear. <laughs> Judah took that bear out of the box, and she named him Charlie. Charlie went all the way through college with Judith. In those times when she was homesick for that lovely guy at home, 
she could cry on Charlie. When she was trying to get through her exams, she went to Charlie, and she depended on Charlie. And when we got married, Charlie came home with us. As far as I know, Charlie is somewhere in our house today, is he? Can you go right to him? That's... Here's the point. An extravagant gift doesn't necessarily have to be an expensive gift. The extravagance comes from the personal value of what is given. It is an expression of how much you care. It may cost a lot of money. It may not cost very much at all. But it's an expression of your heart. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus was born in the humblest possible way imaginable. There was nothing about the birth of Christ that cried out extravagance. But there will never be a more extravagant gift than the one the Lord offered to the world when Christ was born. Even though it was given in the most unexpected place to some of the most humble people you could imagine, that gift had greater value than the world has ever known. What does the Bible say? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And I'm pretty sure, Hutton and Ruth, that this morning if I asked you what's the greatest gift you received this past year you wouldn't have to sit back and think about well now what kind of material thing was I able to purchase what was given to me that something I can hold in my hands or pay money for you would say we have a new son a child has been given to us and Isaiah reminds us a child was given to the world child was given to save the world unexpected undeserved unbelievable God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son no one will ever give you a gift more precious than God has already given a savior a son a redeemer. Then Isaiah reminds us that the Lord's gift was the perfect gift. Not every gift can be described as the perfect gift. I read something a few days ago. It reminded me of my own childhood because we had the same experience at our house. Bill Bryson tells the story of one of the Christmases he remembers from when he was a child in the 60s. And his mom opened a gift from his father and it was tall and it was stainless steel and it had a rotating handle on the side and she told Bill's dad I love it I love it what is it and he said it's an ice crusher how many people remember an ice crusher let me show you what one looked like oh there it is I couldn't see it behind me so she says, so what do you do with this? We had one of these at my house. And he said, it's great. You put ice cubes in the top of it and you turn the crank and crushed ice comes out at the bottom. 
And she said, well, that is wonderful. And so he said, Bill Bryson says, I remember on that Christmas morning, we put all the ice cubes in the top of the ice crusher and we turned the crank and in 20 minutes we succeeded in turning a bunch of ice cubes into a small puddle of cool water. (laughs) And then mom took it to the kitchen and she placed it on a counter And that's where it sat for the next 20 years. (laughs) Every Christmas, people everywhere will open gifts that are beautifully wrapped and lovingly given, and they will make sure that their faces show great expressions of huge delight. Ah, this is so wonderful. And then we'll ask that same question. So what is it? What am I supposed to do with it and they'll carry it home and they'll sit it on a shelf and it never really has any practical value in their lives but then they're the perfect gifts the ones that grow special every time you use them when God gave his son it was the most perfect gift ever given he gave Jesus not to remain as a baby in a manger but to be the one who would save the world one life at a time unto us. Look how the Bible describes him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. What is that perfect gift that all of us need? Someone who will redeem us. Someone who can forgive us. Someone who will guide us. Someone we can trust to tell us the truth. Someone who will never leave us or forsake us. Someone who is always in control. Someone who can give us the gift of peace. And that someone is Jesus. God's perfect gift to a lost and dying world. But the best thing about God's gift is it's a personal gift gift it is unto us you know one of the amazing things about the bible to me is how often it uses personal pronouns when it talks about god i and you and he and they it means god almighty is personally involved in saving and redeeming the world we live in he doesn't stand apart and watch what's going on he doesn't hold us off at arm's length he comes and he joins us right where we are the bible says he was given unto us us you and me jesus came to save us And that's just as important a word for you and I today as it was to the shepherds all so long ago. He's given to us. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen to how the message paraphrase expresses that verse. It says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I love that phrase. So God became one of us and moved into the neighborhood. He came to where we are. He came unto us. He still does exactly the same thing today. One of the things that I think is so incredible about about the Lord Jesus Christ is that when he comes unto us, he comes unto me, 
He comes unto you. And he comes to us one at a time. He doesn't come to us as a whole congregation. He comes to each of us personally and invites us to know him as Savior and as Lord. And that's the most important thing of all. That's the greatest gift of all. God sent his son and he sent him unto you. Sent him unto me. Sent him unto us. No wonder that's such an important part of the vocabulary of Christmas because it reminds us that's what it's all about. Maybe today you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus in a personal way, but you want to. And maybe in just a few moments you're going to want to come as we stand and sing and you can walk the aisle and come to me and say, I just need to know Jesus. I just need to trust him. He came to me. He's God's perfect gift and I want to receive that gift today. And if so, I'll be glad to help you come to know Jesus as your Savior. Or maybe he's coming unto you and he's saying, you know what? Right here in this church, this is where I want to use you. This is where I want to bless you. This is where I want to serve you and have you serve me. And I want you to come and become a member of this church. Or maybe there's something in your life that he's dealing and talking to you about. Not just this morning, but it's been going on for some time. Maybe a call on your life. Maybe a new commitment to him. Maybe there's something completely different. And you just need to come and share that with somebody. And, and I'll be glad to meet you here. As God speaks to your heart, as we stand and sing, if you need to come, you come. Let's stand together and let's sing. Now, you know, the first Sunday in December is always kind of a bittersweet Sunday for me because I'm excited. We've done Advent. We've sung carols. We're moving into the spirit of Christmas, and that's a blessing. But it's also a little bit of a sad Sunday because uh, this coming week, our Sanford students will be going through finals, and by the time we all gather to worship next week, they'll be back home and with their own church families at home and 
we're going to miss you guys while you're not here. We look forward to seeing you after Christmas. Won't you have a wonderful time enjoying your Christmas season? But uh, I don't want to let y'all go without praying for you all. And Rich, I didn't ask you to do this, but would you come and lead our final prayer and ask God to bless our college students? He, he helps lead our students every Thursday night in Bible study. Such a blessing to them. If you would announce, if you would share that prayer, Rich, and then we'll have our final song. Okay. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that as a family that we can celebrate, Lord, uh, so many marvelous events in this day. Uh, Zadok being dedicated, Father, such a highlight of our time. And Father, the promise of the child that was given to us. And Father, also we celebrate just the part of our family as we gather together tonight just to share a meal together. And Lord, realize that we are going to be uh, saying goodbye for a while for our college students who are heading back home. We pray, Father, your grace upon them, Lord, as they go into finals this week, and then, Father, as they travel back home to home and family and to their, their congregations there, Lord, just bless them, keep them safe, and bring them back safely uh, to Sanford and back to our fellowship. We're so thankful, Father, for each and every one of them. And bless us, Father, too, as we go from this place. That, Lord, everything that we do may be uh, that which brings light into this dark world and brings honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.